This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Jeanette Pritchard is the founder and chair of JPC, a multi-award winning strategic brand and communications consultancy. What a career and what a conversation we had. In, in 2018, she was recognized by the Queen for Services to Business and Entrepreneurship. And if you are remotely interested in anything to do with entrepreneurship, experiential design, customer experience, social entrepreneurship and changing people's lives, then you will absolutely love this conversation. She was one of the first people to combine the fields of operatic and theater design with the emerging customer experience priority that a lot of brands started to have. So for a few years, she flew around the world hanging Hondas in the air and creating these breathtaking displays to launch their new vehicles. Um, She was part of the movement to encourage female entrepreneurs to start their own businesses. We kind of take it for granted now, but in the 90s, there really weren't that many female entrepreneurs. And her alumni have collectively achieved an astonishing 96% business survival rate against the national average, which is 25%. And they've created 200 jobs in the process uh, and just uh, tripled their turnover on average. She also founded Ugly, partnering with the BBC, which has just transformed this unused area of West London into a thriving creative startup community of more than 700 people working across fashion, film, photography, digital and design. And in the process, she's helped unofficially zone West London as this new spiritual home of creative startups. I'm just scratching the surface, by the way. She's done so much with her career. I really struggled to keep this podcast to a sensible time. Um, I found the conversation absolutely fascinating. I know you will as well. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Jeanette Pritchard. Jeanette Pritchard has spent the last 20 years strategically advising, consulting, and mentoring brands to exceed their growth potential and create social uplift. Along the way, she's built two award-winning businesses and an award-winning charity that do just that. Jeanette believes that we should give as we grow rather than waiting to give back, which suggests you've actually taken too much in the first place. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Jeanette Pritchard, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Wow. Um, Thank you. Really lovely to be here. Super excited to speak to you. Your history and background is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, As I was doing research on you for the show, I was just blown away by the by the depth of what you've done. And we'll dig into that in a lot more detail as we go on. But let's start at the beginning of your career, because your early influences were both creativity and entrepreneurship. And as a child, you were always doing some form of drama or music or dance or art. And your parents were also very entrepreneurial. How have those early influences shaped your subsequent career? Gosh, um, wow. Well, thank you, Nathan. Um, how has it, it shaped my early career? I think, I think just being born into a household and an environment that is kind of constantly moving, constantly changing, mm-hmm. um, you know, having self-employed parents meant that, you know, there is no kind of norm. Um, And I think that's a kind of early learning that I think now on reflection, you know, that's um, it's sort of quite vibrant. It's very creative. And it it obviously means that um, 
you kind of had to be very adaptable, I suppose, mm-hmm. and, and really resourceful. Um, so, yeah, I think it was really influential. I think the fact that um, I was a very kind of not necessarily yeah yeah a creative kid that really loved doing what I loved doing and having parents that supported that and didn't say you know oh you know maybe you should consider this right or, uh, maybe you be should a doctor or an accountant yeah, exactly. or a lawyer right um, okay it was it was more you know there if that's what you love doing do what you love and, and, and go for it and that, that really started at a very young age I think Really interesting. You, you studied a degree in performing arts in London and majored in theatre design. What was it about theatre design that attracted you? Yeah, so I think that was just a, a complete follow on from all of these sort of art and dance and performance and stuff that I did as a child. Um, you know, this is what really fueled my soul. That's the stuff that I really love doing. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, naturally, um, I mean, I think I think uh, we sort of plugged the data in school uh, at school once, um, you know, all these things I enjoy doing. And it, it came out saying, you know, maybe you should consider physiotherapy. So I think in, the, in those days, um, you know, the sort of career advice wasn't mm-hmm. perhaps like it is now. So I had I had obviously the parental support to just kind of go for it. And then when it came to choosing a degree, it was just really obvious to me to just carry on doing what I love doing um, and that degree proved to be really um, exceptional for the variety of things that I could continue to explore so you know continuing with um, the drama and the art and the music and the dance meant that I could really explore all aspects of kind of theatre and performance uh, and what came out of that was my real love for the sort of three-dimensional uh, my real love for bringing the creative sure. um, spaces to life and I think that's why I ended up specializing in the theatre design aspect um, and then going to America to study that as well for for six months was a phenomenal experience because um, I did a semester out, out in the States hmm. uh, which was which was which was fantastic so so yeah being able to uh, still do what I love doing mm-hmm. and do it for a degree <laughs> mm-hmm. was a huge gift yeah. and a great joy Fantastic. Let, let's talk a little bit about TRO, because in 1990, you became the head of creative for for TRO. Maybe you can talk a little bit about them. You were there for a number of years. What did you take away from that experience there? Yeah, I think um, it's sort of, you know, the, the sort of jump from being in theatre design and actually, you know, all of the experience I had about sort of audience takeout and, and really kind of, um, you know, what, it means to experience a, a live experience and then what you, you know, how you enter as an audience member and how you leave. Uh, leaving that kind of like message in inside people was the thing that I really was loving doing at that time. Um, I loved it a huge amount, but I also loved the more um, strategic, strategic sort of aspect of things. So I just felt that uh, when I started to work at at TRO, I was kind of combining the creative and the strategic. So it was I was able to do more of the sort of thinking around mm. an audience journey and an audience experience more in an experiential kind of way. Um, and that was in the sort of very early days of, of what we call experiential design now. You know, this was in the 90s and it was, uh, you know, largely sort of big car companies that mm-hmm. were launching products in really theatrical and dramatic ways. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it was uh, it was it was an opportunity for me to bring 
all the experience of the sort of opera work that I was currently working in, mm-hmm. um, my freelance capacity. So, you know, big operas, English National Opera, lucky enough to shadow some amazing designers. So bringing that theatre experience into the commercial world was was really exciting and engaging. And I, I really loved it. I loved my time mm-hmm. there. But what I also felt was... Um, there was a real hierarchy at that time to the creative process. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to do it in slightly a different way. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Okay, so let's let's drill into that in a bit more detail because you said that uh, there were some big car brands that were wanting to launch their new cars in sort of really theatrical ways. And one of the brands that you worked on was Honda. Um, you got a really big break in the 90s when you were asked to do their uh, launch for their uh, one of their new models. Talk a little bit about that experience and how did you want to change the way that uh, design, theatrical design was done at that time? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think um, it was just one of those amazing fortuitous things that um, I was loving doing what I was doing in the theatre space. And then on the other side were you know, a bunch of brands that really wanted to kind of launch their products and, you know, show their products to the world in a really kind of theatrical way. And, you know, lo and behold, boom, there's the magic. I was just in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, and I was able to, you know, do amazing things like, you know, flying cars in on on kind of like wires and, and wow. you know, flooding water. over. And we did one car launch for, um, for that. It was actually the Honda Marlin where we had actually water running down over the vehicle as it was suspended in air you know these awesome. are all things that people awesome. these people were saying no yeah. we can't do it yeah and we were like yeah yeah we, we can, can do it why not know? and uh, mm. why not absolutely um so it was really pushing the kind of brand experience mm. as far as we could possibly push it by just really employing all the techniques of the trade that i'd kind of grown up in so it, was, so it was you know here here comes opera meets uh you know meets car brands and and that's kind of what it was and it was exciting time it was the the wonderful time you know there were there were there were budgets to be spent and you know in the the opera world and theater world the budgets had been tighter so suddenly I could actually apply yeah um, a budget in a really effective way yeah really effective way Um, and yeah it, it ticked the two boxes of of the sort of strategy of um you know converting maybe a, a a buyer's perception um uh you know and 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 actually engaging them so they have a, a human experience uh, uplifting joyful experience what was doing it so it uh, yeah it ticked a lot of boxes for me i really enjoyed that time had that been ever been done before the meeting of those two worlds sort of theater operatic design and the car brands launching new <laughs> new models. It seems like a new uh, yeah. mix. Well, I guess it was the start of experiential design in a way. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there were loads of other people doing it. I'm sure yeah. I wasn't the only one. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, I did freelance that time with a fair few other agencies, not just TRO. <clears throat> and they were, you know, they were looking for similar things. They were looking for, uh, you know, to push the boundaries of, of, of brand experiences. Um, it just so happened I guess I I got a bit of a niche for the car brand so I ended up working on Mercedes and Volvo and Mm. Renault and um, you know you name it the list went on and those experiences excuse me those experiences um, were um, you know everything from a a live event a one-off live event to immersive uh, experiential 
um, showcases. So, you know, effectively walking into an environment. Um, we did a, a, a fantastic, I was, I was able to get involved in um, Volvo for Life, which was a, mm. an exhibition in Sweden, which was all around the humanity and safety aspects of the product. Um, and we were able to develop a, an entire visitor centre, um, which became a, a permanent feature for some time. So it wasn't just that sort of one-off theatrical, sure. uh, in our experience, we were able to leave a lasting um, legacy with some of the stuff, really, by, um, by, by working on more permanent installations as well. Hmm. Um, but yeah, car brands became my thing <laughs> in the 90s. That's what I did a lot of. So, so at some point you got bored of flying global car car brands through the air and <laughs> and, and uh, you know having amazing uh, water displays over them. At some point you decided to stop doing that and start your own agency. What what led to that decision? Yeah, why would I ever want to stop doing right? that? Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, it it kind of uh, didn't just end. It it sort of just emerged that I think what I maybe always knew that I was going to run my own thing. Mm. Um, maybe that came from the early years, like I say, of sort of witnessing that. But um, I think I kind of always wanted to start something from the grassroots up on my own. Um, I did witness, you know, at certain stages of working in certain agencies that kind of sleeping under your desk culture that came with the creative mm -hmm. studios. Um, you know, I wasn't proud of that. I wasn't proud of seeing my teams um, working until, you know, the dead hours just because maybe somebody hadn't briefed it in early enough. Mm. So I felt that, I felt that if I could just get a hold of the brief from an earlier point, um, you know, and, and sort of more, more control really, um, or, or help guide the client as to what they wanted from an earlier stage, that I could bring the creativity and the strategic and that sort of, well, I suppose it's suits and suits and jeans or whatever you want to, however you yeah. kind of look at it, bring those two worlds together more and cut out any of the sort of unnecessarily, unnecessary dialogue that went on that maybe the creatives didn't hear about. And I just felt that if we just um, honed it more into more of a single proposition that it would actually just be smarter mm. um so that's kind of what really propelled me to saying okay um i'm gonna i'm gonna move on and i'm gonna do my own thing um and i never burnt bridges i still worked with uh, uh that agency for for a while after and and just and helped them to build their studio up and and then and then just started to build up um my own team mm. um, and my own my own client base really so, interesting yeah. that just going back to that sleeping under the desk culture it, it, it was pervasive and it still is pervasive in many industries still to today but it's just so unproductive people think that it's actually really productive and you, you're getting a lot of work done but actually counterintuitively when you're tired and stressed and under pressure you you you're it doesn't lead to creativity no absolutely absolutely you need to look after yourself you need to be on your game right you, you know you really need to you know be looking at things in 360 view sure. you know and actually you know tiredness and and the stress of things is is does not it's help detrimental that to that, definitely absolutely yeah. absolutely and you know and and it needn't it needn't be like that you know with mm. better planning mm -hmm. uh you know with better foresight with um the ability to uh have a more open dialogue and a, and a more transparent kind of structure within a business you know i really do believe that you can avoid that with good communication um so and that was a, that was a kind of i guess a naive and a mm. and a kind of innate 
kind of just instinct that I had mm. that we could do it like that. Um, so we did. That's what we did. We just got on and did it like that. We we kind of looked at the brief um, at a very early stage um, with the desire to give the best output, obviously, but thinking about it creatively right from the start, right from the start. And then that meant that, you know, my my creative team was, you know, equally, oh, I say my creative team in the early days, that was me. <laughs> but, you know, um, it became the creative team. Yeah. Um, you know, you're more engaged from the outset because you're, you're there and you're hearing the brief and you're understanding the problem. And therefore, you're bound to give a better, more creative sure. and successful solution. So. Let's talk a little bit about J JPC because you started the agency in 1998 on your kitchen table. You won Nokia in your first six months uh, and they were really the apple of the 90s you know huge massive win and I'm sure so many of the executives are sort of kicking themselves now as to why why they are the dominant technology oh. player in the market right now but how did you win that account that must have been a huge win for you to start things off yeah, it was it was a massive coup. I mean, it, it was just fantastic. But it, there were other things going on. It wasn't the only piece of work that we were working on. But what we were able to do was um, get an introduction to a brief as a complete outsider. It was a seven way European pitch. I mean, there's no way we should have won that pitch, you know, if you actually looked at it on paper. But actually, in reality, they were just looking for something really smart, really modular, really clever, a real tangible outcome. Um, and they really wanted something. Well, actually, I don't think they actually really knew what they wanted. And I think that's probably a little bit of a theme uh, of kind of what we've always done at JPC was we sort of helped um, that client work out their own brief because um, it's not just enough to create a brand. We all know that um, there's got to be a tangible outcome for the client. And it was defining what that tangible, tangible outcome was. Um, and helping them explore their brief. So I did a lot of exploratory around what they were really asking for. Um, and I guess, you know, what we came up with was just a really tangible outcome that, mm. that basically saved the client a load of money mm. by being you know, able to transform from one square meter up to 200 square meters. So it was an entirely modular system. Um, it was something that they, they rolled out for up to seven years. Wow. They were still using that kind of design Amazing. concept. So, so I think it's that blend of kind of um, knowing what sales and marketing want because they, they wanted to sell more of their product, right? Sure. And they wanted to do it in a really, um, really uh, creative way. Um, so it was understanding that. Um, I guess that was customer experience of the day. You yeah. know, it's not just enough to create the brand. It mm. had to have that tangible outcome. So, so take that brand, put it in a live environment, but be able to scale it from a hotel foyer right up to, you know, however many hundred square meters at an experience or at a, an event. Um, and that was what was, I think, um, not I think, I'm, I'm almost certain that that is why we won it, um, because we just approached it in that, that real um, sort of strategic way, I guess, um, and gave them the creative and the, and the outcome. They had, they had both. And uh, yeah, and we won it. So that was a really brilliant brilliant uh, win for us in a very at a very young age now some people listening to this might be thinking that you had it easy from the early days nokia your first client win must have been a, a breeze from you you know for you setting up the business from those early beginnings was it easy oh gosh <laughs> was it easy right i was right you know around my kitchen table um yeah it wasn't you know i was living in brixton at the time i i had a little flat i was i was pretty much um 
negotiating contracts literally around my kitchen table that is no joke um and you know and we were you know I was at that point just employing one other person to come in um on the team and obviously had a team of designers that I was working with so no it was it was not easy you know you were kind of you were managing um people independently on on you know on sort of uh, a potentially big big um, big piece of work so you had to build your team fast um, but we were also sort of scrabbling around the background doing loads of other small pieces of work because mm-hmm. of course you you know you've got to you've got to survive um, and so we were but we were you know we were able to work on some fabulously creative work I was getting introduced to people that were doing sort of large events and parties for 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 large clients and and we were we were able to sort of um, I suppose um uh, what's the word? We were able to exhibit and demonstrate our, our creative prowess in, in that way. And then we were able to obviously start to think about the more strategic work as well. So we, we were building, or we, I, was <laughs> building the two at the same time. And I think, you know, that's massively evolved over the years. Um, but no, it, it wasn't easy because, mm. you know, there were, you talk about the sleeping bag under the desk, you know, that mm. they were a lot of late nights. Oh, right. That was you. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> it was building yeah. things from scratch, you mm. know. Um, and it's not easy, but I've never really thought of it as being hard because mm. I just think I kind of knew it was going to be a challenge. Mm. Easy would have been staying in my original job with the car brands, with a nice sure. company car. That right. that would have been the easiest route to take. Mm. And I I just wanted more than that. I wanted to um, I wanted to be able to create cultures that I wanted to create and build teams um, to deliver in a way that I felt was really, really, really focused. So, mm. no, it, it, it's no fault hard. It's, it's, it's been challenging at times, but it's, um, it's been great. So from 1998 to 20, uh, oh, what, what year are we in? 2020. Uh, <laughs> forget, <All> right. <laughs> right. From 1998 to 2020, give us the helicopter view of where JPC is today. What problems do you solve for your, for your clients? Oh, gosh. Um, I, you know what it's it's still it's still really the same um it's helping our clients sell better um but it, and by being obsessed by by their customers experience i mean that's that's largely it so you know we we pride ourselves now on making the complex simple so we take a complex brief or a complex problem again help our clients define what that problem is um, help them write the brief you know help them determine what it is that they they're trying to get to um, but never without losing sight of the fact that it's the customers customers problems that we're re- really trying to solve so you know I think it was the same back in those early days on that first piece of work we did is how can we do that how can we do that in the most cost-effective way how can we be the most efficient um, we can be and how can we really um, not get lost in our own problems but think about the problems of the customer so you know that's still very much at the heart of what we do and it's it's grown yes it's changed um enormously over the years but it's um yeah it's still at the heart of what we do it's that 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 customer or that outtake that Mm. ultimate outtake so Mm. yeah it's uh not transformed massively in 22 years now i'm thinking about it (laughs) well just just on that then how do you think about growing a business and, and business development you know is it really about growth at breakneck speed revenue headcount numbers or is it about slow growth and building a business that you are proud of and that supports your lifestyle that uh you know doesn't necessarily con- conform to the 
the narrative of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, growth, growth, growth at breakneck speed? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough as my business has grown to, and I, you know, um, maybe, maybe we'll just touch on some of that, but, you know, I've been able to set up a charity that mentors women in business. I've been able to do a number of things. And I think when I'm kind of mentoring new businesses, I think that's definitely something that I, I really lean towards is saying, you know, think hard about selling part of your business think hard about um you know expanding quickly or being the next you know the next big mm. whatever uh you know and so the sort of the big unicorns you know i do i do find that the rhetoric around business growth is usually around larger mm -hmm. bigger faster you mm -hmm. know when actually um you know keeping something tight and lean and agile is re and you know and 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 just impacting on you know, an, a handful of, of people can be equally important. So I think when I'm mentoring people um, on starting their businesses up, I definitely do, um, you know, do challenge them on that. You know, uh, do you want to be a hairdresser or do you want to run a salon? You know, if you if you want to stay close to your, your you know, creativity, think hard, long and hard about how big a studio you build. So, yeah, I think those are really important points. As far as JPC was concerned, you know, it's um, it's it has organically grown and it largely grew in those early years just purely by word of mouth. It was just doing a great job. So, you know, reflecting back on your last question about, you know, was it hard? I think the hardest thing is to always remember or always keep reminding yourself, you know, you're only as good as the job you're you're doing now mm. and deliver deliver that really really well and then and in those early days that is what happened you know we would get recommended and referred and referred and referred and that is basically how our client base grew mm. um and in many ways is still how our client base grows now mm. because you know obviously if you do a great job for somebody and you make them look great um you make them feel good they uh, talk about and it. you make them yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> they do and, uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> really interesting. Let's talk about the culture and values piece. How do you think about creating the right culture for JPC? You know, did you have a vision for what the culture would be from the beginning, from your kitchen table? And, and, and how has that evolved over time? Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, for me, culture, you know, culture means sort of how we all interplay with each other within an organization. For me, that is massive. I think it's just so fundamental. I think in the very early days of JPC, probably within the first few years um, of being a limited company, we we didn't just have a limited company handbook, which gave you all of the kind of like the rules and regs of, of contractual work. We also had uh, what we call now our culture culture club bible it was effectively the thing that we lent on to kind of keep ensuring that we had a good honest open clear culture hmm. transparent culture i guess within within the within the agency and that you know um bravery is one of our values was really not just something we stuck on the wall it was something which we really encourage people to be so being brave with your ideas being brave with your communication being brave um about you know, experimenting with ideas um, and pushing things further. So the values and our sort of vision for the business really intrinsic mm. in those early days of growth because, and they still are now, um, 
And they weren't just values that we slapped on the walls. They were values that we workshopped together, that we all agreed. Because ultimately, you know, with with a set of values, what you really, you really need is a set of behaviours. You know, Mm. it's the behaviours that fall out of those things that the important things either uh, let those values thrive or or, or, or die, you know, either people are either people are really living it and really are living the culture of of the business um, or they're not. They're, they're living, you know, in a in a slightly different way. And, mm. and that impacts on everything from your growth to your to your enjoyment, um, to your successes. So, yes, mm. it was massively, massively important to me that uh, that I continued to instill um and allow that culture to be a positive culture of growth um, with my people. So, yeah, that's that's been really important. Quite, quite fascinating. In, in 2003, you decided to step away from the creative directorship of the business. Why did you decide to do that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that was a big that was a big hard bit. Mm. That was um, that was the hardest bit to do um, because it it was just um Letting go of the creative bit for me was, you know, it's everything that I love right. doing. So, you know, it it was a big deal at the time. Yeah. Um, but it was important that I did it. It was important for two reasons, actually. It was important um, for, to let the business grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was important to let the team grow um, and not be that hero um, kind of owner sure. who is so so intrinsically entrenched in the doing of the business that you know you sort of it's my way or the highway sure. and yeah you know I absolutely am not that type of leader so mm. it just felt like the most natural thing to do would be to hand on the creative product because once I'd handed on the creative product or the creative side of business then I could really focus on the business and mm. on the people and on the culture and on the growth and uh, and on the service and all of those other things so um it was hard to do but it was it was firstly to let the business grow and secondly um to grow my own family so I was at that point thinking about starting my own family and being able to just let go of some of the creative onus of the business enabled me to step back a little bit and reflect and had time to um to start my own family and a, and a series of other small families like little businesses that kind of kind mm. of spun off from jpc as well mm-hmm. so it it gave um hopefully um if you asked any of my team they'd say that was a win-win moment because um, it gave autonomy um, to a very talented team um, and it gave me freedom to um, step back and, and look at other um, areas for growth of the mm. business and other areas, exciting areas to to push on into. So, mm. yeah. So let's talk about some of those other exciting areas because you <laughs> won an award for female entrepreneurship. Um, what what year was this roughly? Oh, my God. Don't ask me. <laughs> How am I dating you? I'm so sorry. Uh, it was probably around about... 14 years ago about maybe 14 years ago Something wow like that, fantastic yeah. so like so you, so you won that award for female entrepreneurship from the you know for the work that you've done up until that point tell us the story of when you met a, a lady who was in the crowd listening to your talk outside the ladies <laughs> toilets what 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 happened oh my goodness right okay so yes it was a, a business award and um I went to take a break uh, in the middle of the awards um, before my category was up. And in the bathroom, there was a lady scribbling on a on a kind of serviette that she'd brought in from the, the ballroom. And um, 
and I and I, I couldn't help it. I said, I, oh, please don't tell me you're writing a speech. Please don't tell me you're writing a speech. And she said, no, 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 I am seriously, because apparently if, if I win, I have to talk. Uh, I have to I have to give a talk and, and thank people. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, it's fine. You'll be fine. It's not the Oscars. You're OK. You're OK. <laughs> and at that moment, she sort of looked at me and, and she said, oh, she said, I know who you are. She said, you're JP. Um, I know your business. I really want my business to be like yours. Wow. And it was just one of those kind of like really seminal kind of moments. Amazing. Where I was just like. I said, you know, what do you mean? You want? Mm. I didn't really know what she meant. You know, what, what, do you, mm. what do you mean you want it to be like mine? Of course, it, it would be like mine. She said, oh, no, no, I'm just starting out in business. And um, and I looked at your business and I've, I I know people who've worked for you. And I really want my business to be like your business. And I said, well, in that case, it will, surely. I mean, fantastic. That's amazing. You know, thank you. We went back to the, to the room, sitting on separate tables. And that night, um, later on in the evening, she went on to win um best young entrepreneur and i went on to win um best female entrepreneur of the year and it was really interesting because it it really made a mark on me and Mm. i looked around the room and we were two of maybe a dozen women and the rest of the people in the room were men at that time largely a male dominated kind of award ceremony and and i I spoke to her after and I, and I said, congratulations on winning the award. And I said, what are we going to do with this now? Look around this room. Hmm. What can we do? And um, at that night, I decided I was going to set up uh, an initiative at that time, uh, which became a charity to help female entrepreneurs um, to really make their mark um, in their industry sectors, whatever sectors they might be, by just helping them with free branding advice and free marketing advice. Uh, and that's what I went on to do that Fantastic. night. Fantastic. So, well, let's talk yeah. a little bit about that, because obviously that, as you said, that led you on to mentoring female entrepreneurs, which then led you to set up a series of sort of scholarships in, in Lambeth in, in London. Talk a little bit about the sorts of businesses that you were helping to set up for women at that time, because it was a very different time for female entrepreneurship uh, then as opposed to now, where there are a lot more female entrepreneurs and it isn't so much of a problem these days. You You, you had a hand in making that shift, I would say. Well, thank you. I think, well, I hope hopefully we did our bit. And I think it was, it was um, then not the same as it is now. You know, there were, there were um, barriers to entry in certain sectors. Um, There were less women confident enough, for whatever reason at the time to be encouraged, they weren't being encouraged maybe into thinking about um, self-employment or entrepreneurship as a uh, a way of changing their circumstances or their situations. So, um, so yeah, we we work with fascinating, fascinating young female-run brands. Everything from um, you know leisure industry to health, lifestyle, um, medicine. Uh, you know, oh my goodness me, removal companies. Um, you know, you wow. name it. You name it. Yeah. The, the the range was over the sort of nine years of running that charity has been enormous, absolutely enormous. So, and of course, yes, in those early days, um, you know, there, there wasn't much around. I mean, there wasn't much around for anybody, let alone female entrepreneurs. You know, if you, if you were starting out in business, you would pretty much have maybe a little bit of dry advice from a bank, or you might've had a, a little local scheme going on that taught you about bookkeeping, but there was nothing really vibrant. There's nothing really engaging. There's nothing really, um, mm really impactful that was out there that was you know really saying well look 
think about this, you know, think about your brand, think about how you're positioning, think about your voice, think about your culture, think about um, the difference you want to make in the world. Uh, think about your purpose. You know, what is it that you want to change in the world? Why are you starting your business? And all of those things, we challenge these um, young, I say young, uh, in the early days, we worked very, very jointly or hand in hand with Prince's Trust. So it was a sort of 18 to 25 sure. demographic. But later on, we we did um we um, ran um, we ran courses and, and initiatives for um, sort of baby boomers, sort of back to work, um, single carers. Um, there were lots of different initiatives that we ran, ran within Lambeth and other boroughs in London, actually, that really um, just helped people look at. Uh, entrepreneurship and self-employment as a real opportunity to change their circumstances mm. so we work with people from all sorts of backgrounds whether you're a, a graduate from university or whether you're a single mom um, that left school at 16 we were able right. to apply the same principles to building the confidence in your brand to, to push your push your business forwards so yeah that's quite fascinating. Let, let's talk a little bit about Ugly, because in 2011, you, you set up Ugly in White City, which at the time was this really undesirable part of London. Not not today. And I'm sure you had a, a significant uh, part to play in that. So, but let me understand um, Ugly. Let me try and explain what Ugly is for everyone sort of listening. And then you can tell me whether or not I've, I've got this right. But it's a unique partnership between uh, JPC, BBC and TNC Property Development, which is sort of a which transformed this unlikely and unused part of West London into a sort of a thriving creative startup community with more than 700 people working across fashion, film, photography, digital and design and in doing so you've actually helped sort of unofficially zone West London as the new spiritual home for creative startups. It seemed as though you were the we work before we work where we work. Uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Well, um, yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've been around a while, haven't we, mm. we, we doing that? And yeah, it's, I, I think, um, look, a creative business, a creative person setting up um, a creative campus meant that we came at it from a completely non um traditional way so you know um coming up with ugly as a brand you know there were these set of really ugly buildings mm. um we approached the bbc and we proposed that um in fact probably that was one of the you know one of the the biggest pictures ever sort of looking across from television center to a, a strip of <laughs> ugly buildings and saying um and here Hi. it is <laughs> da -da. Da -da. Call this... it ugly, ugly. Um, it could have gone one way or the other. <laughs> but it, it luckily, luckily, um, it went the right way because the because of the philosophy yeah. and the and the principle behind it was that it was lovelyinside.com. So it was about good business. Really it was about you know it's about it was a reaction to the times. You know, sure. at that point, you know, a lot of people had marketed things within an inch of its life. You know, they admired fame over beauty over soul. Sure. You know, and it was that sort of. Um, reaction to sort of short-term decisions regardless of long-term ramifications and I think for me um, you know it was a real moment in time to set a marker in the sand and say you know let move away from this sort of shallow surge of self-interest and let's do something with a, a an old building that mm -hmm. isn't 
desirable. Right. Um, let's not just knock these things down and build high-rise apartments glass, um, that make no building. one's going right. to glass towers yeah. exactly that no one's going to live in. Yeah. Um, because nobody can afford to live in them. Um, and you know, let's let's just do something um, and and produce something good. So so ugly kind of recognised that sort of successful companies of the future would potentially be smaller, super resourceful. Maybe they'll capitalise on thrift and sustainability. That they'll be more agile. You know, that they'll be sort of ultra responsive. It was sort of future gazing a little bit mm-hmm. into where we we felt um, ethically and socially responsibly sort of business was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really felt strongly about that at the time. It took us two and a half years to kind of convince um, anybody that that was kind of <laughs> how it was going to go. It also Amazing. took us a lot of time to convince anyone that people wanted to be in White right. City in West sure. London because at that time everybody wanted to be in Soho, yeah. you know, or later they wanted to be in Shoreditch. Yeah. So, so it was a real kind of, battle actually um and there's a moment of sort of activism if i look back at my career mm-hmm. it was a real um moment of sort of getting everyone on the side to to properly see this sort of new world of where business might go um and yeah and like as you say very kindly it sort of um it put white city on ma- the map as really a place where you could live and work um you could cycle to work you know um you're you, you know a lot of the people that joined the campus in the early stages were um you know native to the area you know they had children at school there um they were creatives that perhaps didn't want to move out of 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 white city even though the bbc was moving out of white city so there were a lot of things that came together in that project um that really um yeah made it a very special uh coming together of ideas i guess um and And, a great success and within six months of opening you were full (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That what was, was the reason that was for that? Sleeping success? bag again. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was. Uh, it was. Yeah. I. I totally. Um. I totally insisted on kind of um, doing all the marketing um, ourselves, not using an agent, not filling it up in a traditional way like a traditional landlord would have. I met every business that was coming in there, and then it became a, a pretty much an underground viral campaign where member got member because basically we were um, sort of showing people spaces we were enabling them to use it as a blank canvas um and and it was spreading a little bit like wildfire um and basically we yeah we filled it filled it up within six months and uh that nucleus that kind of nucleus of of businesses you know Mm. stayed with us some of them are still there um but stayed with us for a very very long time they understand they just get the philosophy behind the the environment you know that's sort of lovely inside you can be a great business you know you don't have to be in a, a big shiny tower to mm. to be doing good mm. so. love, love that idea it seems as though you know you've you've got a real passion for how creativity and uh yeah just inspiration can sort of change the built environment and how the built environment can actually change society yeah completely and you know where we live how we play what we do in our own environments you know in work and life, you know, it's massively important. And I think, you know, being a, an agency that's set up in Brixton, uh, in the, you know, we've seen massive, massive change there um, during the during the sort of decade or so that we were there, you know. And obviously, creatives, you know, they're usually the first people in. They're usually the ones that are regenerating an area because they're seeing opportunity and they're seeing um, 
they're seeing spaces in different ways. You know, they look at things with maybe a different lens. So, mm. um, so yeah, that sort of regeneration and sort of community aspect to everything that I've done in all my businesses um, is 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 a is a gold a guy, I suppose a golden thread or something that sort of stitches things together together mm. most definitely so mm. you know being part of a business community and how you contribute to that business community um i feel is a big part of the responsibility of being a business owner really interesting you you also part of um what you set up brand amplifier recently as well it's it's one of the uk's most effective and energizing business growth and support organizations, but it's not your typical business support organization. How is it different to the traditional ones? Um, I think it's just, um, it's a bit irreverent. Mm -hmm. I think it's a bit... um, a bit anarchic and I think what it does is it it kind of gives you business advice warts and all and I think that's what you need to hear you know when you're starting out in business um you know do you really want to see somebody on stage waxing lyrical about how brilliant it's all been mm. when in actually you really want to know you know the tough right bits, the, the pain bits, the, the pain <laughs> right you know? so okay, I can avoid that right exactly exactly so I think I think that's um that made it different I think the other thing that made it different um uh in the early day well it actually still makes it different is the the fact that it was me i suppose just uh, bringing in other um people other women largely at the time who were successful in business Mm. so how they were they were sharing their successes but they were sharing those in like i say a really honest and um open and transparent way um so and of course what it what also the byproduct of, of perhaps the difference of, of the um of the initiative or of the charity is that it um it creates peer-to-peer mentoring so basically by having di- different co- cohorts coming in and learning together at different stages you not only have this incredible magic that happens between the mentor and the mentee um, you also have this incredible bond that develops between the cohorts. So say a cohort of 25 um, business entrepreneurs, um, you know, they've, they've all got their different struggles. They've all got their different problems. They've all got, they're all at different stages of growth, but they can all learn something from each other and they can all help each other in some way. So I think the sort of peer to peer mentoring, um, the sort of using, um, real women who are running real businesses mm. who weren't sort of trainers i suppose um those those are the two things that defined it as uh, becoming becoming so successful i mm. guess really interesting and and today your alumni have collectively achieved a, an astonishing 96 percent business survival rate against the national average which is about 25 percent. that's just an amazing achievement how have you done i, I guess that's a testament to sort of what you've just talked about <laughs> yeah yeah, I guess it mm. is. Um, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. I think, to um, funnily enough, um, you know, what what makes it, I was asked what made it successful. I was lucky enough to get an award recently and I was asked by somebody very prestigious the same question. Yeah. What is it? What is it oh. that makes uh, these businesses successful? And um, and I, I think, you know, I, I, ne- I just drill it down to confidence I think it's that co- it's instilling the confidence in people to carry on, um, you know, to just um, dig deep when it's not easy and just carry on and have the confidence and belief in yourself that you can do it because why can't you do it? You know, you're as good as the next man or the mm. next woman. So, so, you know, just get on and do it. And I think some people don't have somebody 
behind them saying that or giving them the confidence necessarily. And I think the the program really helped helped to do that, helped to to fill that void for people maybe. So I mean, you've you've just created an astonishing amount of of jobs and wealth and and just uh, I guess inspired a lot of people to sort of set up their own businesses and believe in themselves where do you get your own belief from in yourself in order to let other people's light shine oh oh what a question (laughs) oh um blimey i don't know Mm. um i really don't know i i i think um i just think i I just think for me, everything's business is all about people. So, um, you know, just being able to share, Mm -hmm. I guess, ideas, share knowledge, you know, this whole sort of cycle of knowledge sharing was what the, the initiative was based upon. And I think, you know, even in my own teams, you know, within, um, within JPC and within ugly, I think it's about just, uh, believing in people and bringing out their, their light within them mm. you know everybody's got it in them mm. um haven't they everyone's got it in everyone them. everyone's does. got great great stuff in them they but really do. sometimes people just don't believe in themselves yeah. so so i don't know whether i um i have a particular a deep belief i i i'm quite um i think i i think i do demonstrate to to all the businesses i work with and all the businesses i've created just that element of bravery i think you do have to be brave and i think i i enjoy i enjoy challenge and i enjoy risk and and i i don't know where that's come from i wish i knew the answer um i think i might know the answer but it might be for another sure another, another podcast right okay <laughs> but yeah i think i think just believing in yourself yeah. and um you know and I and I try and instill that in all my teams. And and the main skill sets that you've brought to all of these uh, projects, all all the businesses and the charities, um, you know, is it sort of great intellect? Do you think is it your drive, ambition? I mean, you say it's your uh, risk risk appetite as well. But what else do you think uh, is sort of yeah is important? What are the skill sets? Um, I think it's important to be kind. Mm. Um, but I think I think. Um, it's important to be tenacious. So I think, yeah, I think, I think courage, like we've just spoken Mm -hmm. about, but I think it's having the tenacity and courage to be kind and commercial. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's for me, the sort of winning formula. I think I've met people along my, along the way of building businesses that are very commercial or they might be very kind um, or they might demonstrate, you know, tenacity. But I think having though that as a kind of formula, that sort of tenacity and courage and to be kind and commercial, I think that really is then you grow good businesses, you know, then you grow um companies that have really good value sets at their core and your outputs are, are good, you know, mm. because ultimately you attract the right kind of clients, um, you know, and you work um, you know, with the right with the, the people that are, are attracted to that so i, I think that's mm. that's been a big a big factor uh, and look i mean it's pretty evident right the world needs kind of leaders sure so then you know it's for people on the planet so the, the reality is it's time for all of this stuff mm-hmm. and i think you know that's something that i've always um i've always always sort of got on my soapbox <laughs> about a little bit and and maybe just done a lot of and it's it's just heartwarming to me that that feels like the way the world is Mm. is is 
is coming around to. I mean, maybe more out of necessity than anything else, but, you know, this mm. is where we're coming to. Mm. So and, that's a good thing. And what <clears> keeps you up at night these days? Oh, what keeps me up at night? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, not a lot, you know. I no? sleep quite well. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I sleep, I sleep really With well. With all the risk so. and uncertainty of setting up businesses yeah, and charities yeah. and managing so many no. people's expectations. What keeps me up at yeah. night? Um, you know, being having i think um knowing that you kind of need to keep changing Mm -hmm. i think that's a big factor at the moment and it doesn't keep me up at night but it's something i think about a lot it's that it's that you know we're in an incredibly disrupted world so you know jbc for example is trying to help clients when clients don't necessarily know what they need or want so it's it's um it's kind of it's sort of being being able to you know be obsessive about trying to get to that that sort of um the the sort of right kind of answers i think that's that's something that i think about a lot um but i i um i'm an early riser so i i get up at five most mornings so really for me um i'm usually knackered by bedtime (laughs) (laughs) what time is bedtime if you get up yeah well you know sometimes quite early but i do need to i do need to get a couple of early nights a week but um you know but i yeah i i um i think that it's um important to to get your rest if you can yeah um so i try not to mull over it at night i'd rather get up early in the morning and and kind of meditate on the problem and think about it and uh and then get get going on the day really you interesting know, hit it like a rugby player is one of my <laughs> my expressions so you know better to go in hard sure. on the problem and, and just get on with it that's, rather than dwell on it right at night. that's far too painful for me <laughs> i'd rather go around the side and not bump into anyone <laughs> um let, let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion because even though we've seen a huge amount of progress in recent years i mean you mentioned earlier that uh, the landscape for uh, female entrepreneurship is completely different now to when it was, uh, you know, when you started. Um, representation of women and minorities at the highest levels in leadership is still sadly lacking. Is the marketing industry and the advertising industry doing enough? And, and what more can be done? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, we can always do more, can't we? Um, but when I say we, you know, I think that's my big premise on it all is, you know, we need to just you know, move forward together. I think for me, you know, if I speak my truth, my truth is that, you know, there feels like there's a sort of real um, sort of sacred masculine and divine feminine uprising. You know, it really Mm -hmm. feels like things are shifting Mm -hmm. and it's this rising up together that I believe in, you know, let's move forward together. So, so, you know, I, I, I try not, not to get into divisive discussions around the subject, but I just believe in doing the best job you can do as a human. Um, and then, you know, obviously, clearly, um, we can we can then drive things, drive progress. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's kind of my truth on it, really. I think I think things have sh- things are shifting. Um, and I think, as I said earlier, you know, the world needs a different type of leadership. Um, and this sort of kind of leadership that I talk about a lot um, is is going to help us all out in the current situation we're in. So the more um, diverse, uh, the more well-represented groups of people that work together um, for, for, for a better, better progress, that's what I'm all about. And I think, you know, diversity for me has always just been a, a given because I'm a creatively mm-hmm. 
driven person. So for me, if I've got a diverse group of people around a table looking at a client problem or looking at a challenge, um, I know I'm going to get a better solution when I've got people from different backgrounds, with different experiences, Mm -hmm. with different upbringings, Mm -hmm. um, with different um, orientations. We basically, we're just going to have a more interesting conversation. And that more interesting conversation is going to give us more innovative solutions. So to me, diversity just equals innovation. So I've I've never really, it's never really been in my, in my um, armory of, you know, we've always had diverse teams. We've always at JPC had a heavily, actually, we're quite heavily biased female, female dominated team at the moment. So, you know, it just is, let's just work together Mm. and let's, let's drive it forwards. Mm. Really, really interesting. A couple more questions before we get into our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests. How, how have you changed most as a leader over the years? Mm. Um, like, I don't know, just, just, just your, just, you know, the, the interesting things to me are, are when you come across a new piece of information that yeah. challenges your pre-existing yes. notions of the way that things work or the way that the world works, yes. that paradigm shift I think is like, is, is so important. And it happens to me almost on a daily basis. <laughs> it just, yes. shows, just shows yeah. how, you know, my lack of, uh, you know, the way that I think, but I think that happens to so many of us and there are certain periods in, in, in our lives where we think that the way that the world works is in a certain way and then new information comes into us and it totally changes everything. So I, I guess what I'm asking is sort of how, what have been those periods for you and how, how has your thinking evolved yeah. and changed? I think, um, I think I have both maybe the gift and the curse of being a bit of a futurist. Mm. So I think, um, I, I just think that I am constantly um, energized by change. So I think when something comes in that challenges my perception of something, um, of how I saw it, I kind of see it as a friend immediately. I don't mm. see it as a, as a, as a threat or as an enemy does that mm-hmm. does that make sense it does because i just love it so much i think right this is challenging the way i'm thinking i've yeah. got to change my perception i think in in this disruptive sort of stage that we're in you know you've got to come at everything from every angle sure. and i think that if you have the ability to um to break down a paradigm quite quickly and to not get entrenched in behaviors um, and to develop, I guess, good habits, um, then I think that's kind of how I've dealt with things. So mm. I'm definitely a, um, I'm definitely a, a sort of, you know, I, I, I look a lot at <clears throat> my habits and how I, I am mm-hmm. as a leader and, and what those habits are, um, you know, displaying to others and, you know, you know, it, you know, um, mm. behaviors are infectious. So, you know, how am it I behaving? Um, and what is that saying to my my team? Um, so I yeah I, I think um, this ability to sort of love change and and be disruptive has has been a massive a massive um, a sort of ally really in a way. Mm. I mean if you look at just JPC's world alone um, and the way that the brand um, or oh, sorry the company has evolved over the years. Um, it's just been it's it's been radical you know I, if i look back every 4 to 5 years the business has sort of had to 
sort of re re reshift its perspective. You know, it's had to. <clears throat> you know, would we have ever anticipated that? Um, you know, we'd be like a new business almost every four to five years. You know, and that's over a twenty-two year period. But I can look back and I can see um, that by liking change, you stay relevant. So you know, you stay relevant to your client. Um, and and in now that's that's even more important because it's harder and harder for clients to change so mm. you know we almost i see it as our responsibility to bring change to the client mm. um so i think that's i think that has been a uh, if i was to reflect mm. like you're asking me to i think it's it's um it's a, a con- maybe that is a, a, a coping mechanism is to i guess embrace change um see it as your friend um, and then uh, adapt accordingly. And I think that's why we've been able to be agile and and responsive um, to all sorts of dot-com booms and busts and various recessions along the way. <laughs> really, so, you know, really interesting. Cool. Do you know, I don't have you all day, and as much as I'd like to talk to you uh, all, all day, yeah, <laughs> I've only got you for a few, few more minutes. Let's get into everyone's favourite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So... I'm going to pick some of these at random and fire them at you. Tell us about some of your early mentors. Who influenced your approach to the way that you think about entrepreneurship and growing businesses and, yeah, all of that? Um, I think um, I can see why everyone loves these questions. I think for me it, um, it wasn't really your classic entrepreneurs. So I think in the early days I was just setting up a business in the, you know, the belief that I could – do something differently and do it in a better way. Um, I wanted to, to 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 set up a better kind of business, you know, that had had good purpose. So and that had you know had all of the the right things in place. Um, so I think the early inspirations for me were actually the people that I worked with at the very young younger age when I was working in theatre. Mm-hmm. You know, people like Chris Newell and Caroline Sharman and mm-hmm. Terence Emery. You know, Terence Emery was a prolific, no longer with us, amazing opera designer. Um, and, you know, I think the the obsession of those people, directors and designers in theatre to, um, you know, they really fueled in me this obsession by the audience takeout, you know, how you're going to influence your audience in every touch point, um, every, you know, in any way you can. So I think I think for me, it was more the sort of creative um um sort of mentors yeah yeah that that sort of fueled fueled that desire which ultimately Mm. became a a big driving factor to the Mm. to the businesses i set up but um yeah for me for me it wasn't a sort of classic entrepreneurship route and interestingly i i tend to employ people that haven't come a classic route as well because i think Mm. the the interesting the interesting people often have come a an unusual way Mm. to finding what it is they really want to do um so yeah Totally agree. The the books question. Uh, I know that you're working on your book. In fact, it's very close to be out. Uh, so I'll ask you about that a little bit later. But tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal and professional development? Oh, my goodness me. So many. Where do you start <laughs> on that question? Where do you start? Right at the beginning. Oh, my <laughs> we've, word. We've got three I mean, more hours. It is bonkers. I'm reading really? so many books at the moment because oh, I'm me. obviously researching my own book. But okay. um, yeah too many and too many um 
too much variety, but um, <clears throat> golf, real biggies, mm. some, 40 Tales from the Afterlives. I think that's one that I've used in my mentoring a lot. Um, 40 Tales. It's a fascinating book. You wouldn't have maybe heard of it in a classic business context. No, have you I heard haven't. of that one? No. You For, have? 40 Tales of what? Sorry. 40 Ta Tales from the Afterlives. 40 it's called Sum, S-U-M, okay. colon, yeah. 40 Tales from the Afterlives by David Eagleman. Um, <clears throat> that is a, um, that's a, that's a go-to book. Um, for huh. anybody that is thinking about things in a much more holistic kind of way. It's it's effectively a series of short stories um, written by somebody that used to be a brain surgeon, interestingly. Wow. Um, and it's just fascinating. There's one particular tale in that book, which um, I have shared with a lot of people over the years. And that is um, <clears throat> about your um, sphere of connection and the people that you uh, you know and that you choose to know in your everyday existence and effectively what happens is you you end up um, going into the afterlife um, and realizing you have to live the life that you've you basically set up for yourself whilst living for eternity wow. and of course That's it's uh, it's a very very telling yeah. so that is a brilliant brilliant book um fantastic and i love that very much um, okay slight edge yeah slight edge jeff olson you probably read it you might not have if jeff you haven't olson. then do um, but that's that's great because, again, going back to those principles of sort of um, habits and, and kind of rituals, I suppose, um, you know, a lot of businesses to run, a lot of things to do. I kind of try and fit as much in my day as I can, but with, you know, with with compassion um, and um, Slight Edge is a great book for just um, telling you or guiding you on the principles of just uh, what your habits are, the good habits and the bad habits and how they accumulate. It's, it's a bit like a book about compound interest. Um, and uh, it, I've heard about yeah, it. Yeah, have you read that? It's no, really, I haven't read it, but it's on yeah, my list. I there we go. Really I recommend good. it. Okay. Effectively, you can kind of do a lot of little things every day that yeah. aren't great. And that will accumulate and it will drop off the edge. Or you can do little things every day that are good. And yeah. then obviously, eventually, that becomes something greater. And it's a really clever. Law of compounding. Really, yeah, That's really clever little book. Einstein's most powerful law of the universe, right? Compound yeah, interest. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I've got loads of others. I got given. Um, Give us one more. I've got. Oh, gosh. Well, Biggie is, um, is Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning. Brilliant. Um, brilliant book. But I, funnily <sighs> enough, I've all. Yeah, life changing. But I've always done the whole morning thing. Is that why you get up at five? Oh no, you yeah. did that before. Sorry. Yeah, I did it before. But right. what was fascinating was I then met somebody at an event mm -hmm. who said, "Oh, you do miracle." Because I said about my, they, they asked me right. about something. I said, Your routine. Oh. And they, my routine, and I said I do this, and they said, "Oh, you do miracle morning." I said, "I do. Do I? Do I? Do I?" <laughs> <laughs> what and is then, this miracle morning? Yeah, and right. then very kindly, this person sent me the book, and um, oh, wow. when I read it, it was one of those moments of. Oh wow! I really do do it. Um, but what's me. great about that book is it gives you a structure, yeah. which is you, you know, which you can use, which is the savers principle, and yeah. it's a, it's a really good. I really, um, I really like, I like that book because I suppose it's a it's a principle which I'd adopted and I've then refined by reading the by book, reading and it's something it. which I can, which I, I suppose I practice it in my day to day. So it's it's obviously at the front of my mind. What's the first and I'll give you, you one more. I'll give you one more. What, I'm what's reading the first, at the moment. Just, just is, on Hal um, Elrod. What do you, what's the first thing you do in the morning as, as part of your uh, morning miracle? Oh, I, um, so when I get up, I, I, I exercise. Okay. First thing. And 5 a.m. Yeah. And, out of, and I have a, when I say exercise, I mean, that is, you know, just core, 
core exercise. I'm not okay. like running around, you know, <laughs> right. with the music blaring. Swimming. Right. You're not doing gymnastics. <laughs> no, not doing gymnastics. Right. Not in my lycra. I'm literally <laughs> just doing my core exercises. Okay. And I'm also doing a bit of silence um, okay. and a bit of sort of, well, I, I really believe in affirmation work. So yeah. I, I'm doing a bit of, right, what am I trying to achieve? Yes. You know, what am I trying to um, bring together at the moment? So that I've got a little kind of savers thing of my own that Love I it. kind of, which is his an acronym that he uses that um, mm. in his book. And I, I have my own little version of that. And I do too, it yeah. helps me to just um, center that silence in the mm-hmm. morning, a bit of scribing, because obviously I'm writing mm-hmm. my book at the moment, mm-hmm. but a bit of scribing and a little bit of, um, you know, reading. If I, if I can get that done early, then I feel like I've, I've conquered the day. Yeah. And then I feel like everything else is a bonus. <sighs> Definitely. So much is done before 8 a.m. So much a is lo- done. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It What's is like that saying? Conquer the morning. He who conquers the morning. Something like that. Yeah. There is a saying. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it goes, yeah, totally agree with it. You, you were going to give us one more book. Oh, well, no, I've just been given it, so I can't okay. really talk about it. But uh, yeah, okay. I'm reading at the moment. I'm reading um, Caroline Creed Perez, which is um, Invisible Woman. Invisible okay. Women, actually, um, which is basically um, uh, a sort of book that's been given to me at Christmas about exposing the da- data bias in a world designed for men. So it's going to be really interesting. Really so when we have that conversation again, I will uh, maybe enlighten you with some facts yeah. on that. But I, awesome. I get given really interesting books yeah. a lot and I and I'd love to read. So um, feed, feed the mind. It's all love good it. stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. So tell us about your book then. Oh, nice, my goodness. Nice segue. Me segue look at that for segue thank you (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much uh yeah so i'm writing a book which is fabulous isn't it for me um but blooming hard work but we're getting there um i'm actually co-authoring it actually um with a a wonderful woman um who i'm uh non-exec um helping on building her business at the moment which is uh, a company that i'm working with um and it's and it's just been a fantastic process actually the culmination i guess of 25 years of of loads of sort of business uh, trials and tribulations, but it's it's uh, it's for once it's sort of um, starting to really solidify and con- and consolidate a lot of the the mentoring that I've done, um, a lot of the thinking around um, how to grow better businesses, good businesses, mm. um, and yeah, it's uh, due to come out in uh, May. So hopefully oh, we'll be able to Super speak exciting. again Definitely. with it in front of us. Please do. Send me yeah. send me a copy. I'll read it and then we'll get you back on the show. I will do. Definitely. Can't wait. Yeah, Can't looking wait. forward to that. Uh, last couple get of questions. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Baby steps. One step at a time. You're almost there, you know. How, how hard yeah. could it be writing oh, a book? Yeah, how hard could it be? <laughs> um, Amazon Prime or Netflix? Oh, gosh. Um, I, do you know, can you, can you imagine I don't watch much TV? So, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's a hard one for that's me. True. Um, but I will say I've got a house full of teenagers now. So, okay. um, Friday night dinners, um, yeah. is, is, is a, is a kind of family one we can watch together and laugh at ourselves, mm-hmm. um, because I have two boys, um, and they're teenagers mm-hmm. and we can sort of almost future gaze and see what life might look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, that's been a great one. Um, and then sex education, of course, because I've also got a house of teenagers and these are things that you need to watch as a parent. So uh, so we don't watch that together. I yeah, to yeah, that. okay. But, uh, Good yeah, show. But it's, a really, it's, it's really interesting. I'm sort of, um, yeah, being drawn into um, the sort of, I suppose, um, culture of, of what 
the the boys are, are kind of interested in and yeah. obviously um it's it's quite nice as a family it's not quite nice it's very nice as a family to be able to find something that you can watch um like Friday night dinners yeah. together which mm. is um quite hard to find yeah something that i can to imagine i imagine in the household <laughs> yeah really so, interesting yeah. But uh, that's pretty much it. The rest of the time, I've got stuff to do. So I, 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 I've got, you know, yeah. I'm usually, as my husband says, I don't sit down much. So it's a rare moment, Netflix or Prime. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, so when I'm going through difficult patches, I remind myself of inspirational quotes from people that I admire to get me through, like Viktor Frankl's Between Stimulus and Response, uh, Between Stimulus and response there's choice or from the magic of big thinking how big we think determines the size of our accomplishment or action cures fear do you have any of those things that you fall back on in tough times um um i i think that i don't necessarily have ones i fall back on at tough times necessarily um but i think there are things that resonate with me and stay with me all the time there's mayor angelou quote which i absolutely love you know mm -hmm. the um yeah i've learned that people forget what you said people forget yeah. what you did but people never forget how you how make, you them, make feel. them feel and i really yeah. live my life by that mm -hmm. that kind of philosophy mm -hmm. her her words really resonate with me um because you know, I do truly believe that business is a series of relationships, friendships, you know, love is at the center of everything. So actually her quote just epitomizes for me that um, how you make people feel um, is the important thing. Mm. Um, and you can say what you want and do what you want, but actually... Mm. Um, it's 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 how you you make them feel it matters. So so that's a yeah. real biggie for me. I mean, there are others. She has wonderful ones. I mean, you she know, does. oh my word, yeah. she's inspiring. Just go down the list of my yeah, you know, quotes. being or the other one being or, but understand that they are no more human than you. You right. know, I think that carries yeah. has carried me all through my professional life. You know, I I sat in some fairly male dominated environments. Sure. I sat in some pretty scary scary. Um, had some pretty sort of I suppose professionally um, fraught experiences, and I think you know, just you know, being all but understand they yeah. are no more human than you. You know, we are all just doing our bit. Um, so I think, yeah. I think, you know, I think her, 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 the wonderfulness of her words really, mm. really resonates. And then I think I kind of just sort of make my own up. I mean, I'm one of those ridiculous people that you know just um, sort of sort of talks about stuff as if i've heard it somewhere and then sure. somebody goes oh where's that quote from and right. I, go, I don't know my head i think <laughs> i'm not sure you know really um, interesting that we were talking earlier about you know that whole moving forward bit and yeah. you know, i'm always saying at the moment you know you move forward it's commercial but kind you know in a way that's commercial and kind to the individual planet and the environment and because yeah. oh yeah that's a great quote where's that from and i'm like mm. no i've just written it it's just in the book yeah yeah <laughs> so, really you know, and the other one and the other one is, um, uh, you know, um, I think I, I'm always saying it to, you know, within our culture of JPC at the moment is, you know, don't fall in love with our own products. You know, be, you know, to be successful, people, you need to fall in love with your customers and, sure. and their outcomes. And, you know, I'm always saying things like that. And I'm sure I've read them somewhere. You know, mm. there's somebody, somebody really prolific, somebody said it somewhere. Well, but, they, um, well that's what they say. Yeah. There is, you know, there is no new information under the sun. It's so, it's been remixed no. somehow. So all Absolutely. the experiences, all of the books that you've read, it just mixes itself up really nicely and comes out 
in in creative ways. So that's that's really interesting. Last last couple of questions. What advice mm. would you give to a young person or a millennial who says they want to start an agency or start in in business? Uh, this must happen to you all the time. What what advice do you give them? Yeah. Um... It does happen a lot, and I think it would be different advice, possibly, to starting their own agency, to starting their own business. Okay. I, but I think That's largely, um, I it would be go for it. Just you know, just do it because you you'll never regret giving it a go. Um, but understand, like everything, um, that everything is changing. Everything is changing. So, um, you know, every day there's change um so if you're gonna start out and if you're gonna start out in an agency world or you're gonna start your own agency slightly different advice but if you if you just go into it knowing that everything's changing then you need to be multidisciplined. you need to be multi-skilled um you need to be strategic you need to be having a grasp of tech and data you know there's one thing that never ever changes however and that is that you get on with and inspire other people mm. so i think if i'm advising other people it's to really 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 go get on with it um get on with others and inspire others and along the way you know hopefully you'll make a difference so for me i think i think i'd be i'd be recommending that they embrace change and see change as a as a real um a really uh, opportunistic thing really grasp it does so that make sense it completely does <laughs> and, and Jeanette my final question what do you know about growing businesses today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career on that kitchen table um I think that goes back to what we've sort of touched on already that um that I wouldn't have known that it would evolve so much um, you know, when you start out, when you start out setting a company up, um, that, you know, that it, that it, it, it will evolve so greatly. But I suppose that's a great advantage and, um, joy of being able to look back at 22 years of growth, which I'm very proud of and very, um, you know, very, um, humbled by really. So to, 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 to know that, um, it would become something different and keep, evolving into something different so i think you don't i think you start out with an idea of what you're going to do but you of course you can't anticipate where or what that's going to become mm. um so it goes a little bit back to what we spoke about early embracing change um to stay relevant um you know that's that's the key thing um and i think i wouldn't have anticipated um quite how much things would would change and now we're in a, a period of immense change so hmm. this has been absolutely fascinating Jeanette thank you so much for doing this you're very very welcome it's been an absolute joy I could have talked to you for hours <laughs> absolute pleasure <laughs> we have been speaking with Jeanette Pritchard she is currently the founder chair of JPC Brand Amplifier and Ugly if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to 48 such conversations we've had with world-class sales and marketing leaders thank you for your feedback and suggestions on linkedin and email write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com head over to itunes and give us a review follow me on twitter at nathan annie barber 
we would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Mageki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibarbo. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.